This episode of Spread the Floor is brought to you by Joshua Sodder, designer and illustrator. The design world can be intimidating to navigate, and finding a high-quality designer who won't kill your budget can be super difficult. Fortunately, our friend Joshua Sodder provides a fantastic solution. Joshua has done tons of work for us here at Spread the Floor, including the design of our logo, as well as designs for our social media. He always listens to our ideas and requests, keeps in touch with us through the process, and gives us a ton of great options to choose from and work with. He's a true professional and goes above and beyond to collaborate with us on whatever project we have in mind. You can check out Joshua's work for yourself by going to joshuasodder.com and browsing through his portfolio. He's done some incredible work for Kent State University's Apple Store, startups and agencies all across the country, and podcasts like Mad About Movies. Check out joshuasodder.com or his Instagram at joshuathedesigner and hit him up for all your design and illustration needs, from logos to merchandise, branding to websites, and tell him we sent you. Thanks, Joshua. Now on to the show. This Justin, a hero is more than a sandwich. Welcome to Spread the Floor, the world's first and only NBA podcast, probably. I am your host, Brian Gill, joined as always by the Vladi Divac to my Eldon Campbell. It's my co-host, Tobin Hodges. Tobin, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very good. Is this Vladi Divac, the Los Angeles Laker, or the Sacramento Kings uh, front office? That's, that's mm. That makes a difference. I'm going to... I'm going to go Lakers. Okay, that's um, not as insulting. The, the, so, The important part is that you still smoke half a pack uh, a day, minimum. Yeah. Minimum half a pack yeah. a day. Uh, so get get on that, I You guess. know, you, you're uh, joking. It's a miracle that dude was able to play as long as he was, and it's also a miracle yeah. he's still alive. This just tells yeah. you those Eastern European genes are something different. So, Because <laughs> I'm pretty certain that if I had one cigarette and tried to go outside and run up and down a basketball court, I would probably have to be making funeral arrangements. So, <laughs> Man, I had a kid at uh, my, uh, I don't know, youth group, kids group thing tonight at our, at our church that uh, <laughs> the teacher asked, like, something about, you know, bad influences or whatever, and he was like, like, somebody who smokes. And she was like, he, he yelled it across the room. She was like, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like the best answer to the question, but you know, you just kind of roll with it with fourth graders or whatever. And uh, she was like, "Yeah, like somebody who smokes cigarettes." And she kind of tried to play it off funny, and he was like, "Or cigars!" And just <laughs> screamed it at her. She was like, "Oh yeah, or cigar, or pipes!" And I was right, like, "Okay, on. we need to stop know. now." Yeah, pipes are pipes are cool, man. Like, <laughs> let's not. Let's, I mean, let's not. I just didn't know what the next one was gonna be. You know, it's like we've we've. Real quick, blew through cigarettes and cigars and pipes. Are we getting are we getting to bongs next, or is this are we are we going the vape route? It was, it was yeah. So shout, <laughs> big, big props to to Vladi Divac for uh, for being that's he's got to be like the last the last of that generation of players who actively played basketball in the NBA at a high level and also smoked at halftime. Mm-hmm. There's there, he's got to be the last. There's one no that way that, that that's I'd, happened in in twenty years. Yeah, yeah, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if we found out that, like, Boban smokes a pack of I cigarettes. I think the last athlete, for if you're talking all four sports, the last athlete that's probably even done anything remotely close to that was probably, like, David Wells or John Crook. Like, you know, and yeah, I, and I sure. use the term athlete very loosely with them, but, you know, 
Like, like <laughs> David Wells is like notorious for he's going to go on a bender the night before and then drink six yeah. beers in between innings, you know, and right, still right. through throws a perfect yeah. game. And John Cruck is just John Cruck. I mean, that dude was, you know, a, a walking <laughs> yeah. ashtray, it seemed like. Right. And so, right. But yeah, I just don't, I don't think there's or any. Jim Leland. Yeah. There's no world. Remember Jim Leland getting caught in the oh, day yeah. out smoking? That guy ruled. Yeah. Though. He's also I, a manager, I, so that's not a big deal. But like, yeah. you know, yeah. players care too much without their bodies these days. That's, you know, in a good way. You know, I just, but it's yeah. It's true. Flotty Devox, man. It. Only hookah now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't smoke, kids. Don't smoke. Since half our listeners are your your son and his friends, um, <laughs> should make sure that uh, they they hear us say that smoking is bad. Um, Tobin, I don't know if you know this or not, but the NBA finals are going on right now and are are borderline about to wrap up. We're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, that'll be the bulk of our episode tonight. I don't believe that we have recorded since the did we did we record after game one or was it prior to game? It one? was prior think, to game one because okay. we had to make our picks and stuff. <sighs> So we got a, we got a long way to go on that, but uh, we'll we'll keep it short. We'll focus on games three and four more than anything else, and mostly four. Um, before we get to that, though, I've also got a little game to play with you, and uh, I hope we have time for that tonight. We're gonna try and keep this to a tight seventy minutes instead of a tight one hundred and forty seven minutes, um, like we we typically do. But uh, if we have time, I've, I'm gonna I want to bring back games to this show now that we're about to get to the off season. We have we have more time mm-hmm. to fill um, each episode. But before that. Uh, just a couple of quick notes from around the league before we get hardcore into the big discussions. Uh, Mike Brown interviewed with the Clippers for their head coaching position. Do you have any thoughts on on Mike Brown uh, to the Clippers? I I think we've said before that Mike Brown seems to be a great like a great dude, a great interim coach, and a great assistant coach, but doesn't seem to do as well as a head coach. And I don't think a team that's already volatile needs to have a coach that's going to come in and not have any pull because that's that's a hundred percent what's going to happen is that dude's going to come in and no one's going to listen to him so i think that it's, yeah. i think it's i don't think Ty Lue falls in that same category but i feel like these these coaches that lebron had that lebron won with are getting more credit than hey maybe it's just lebron is really good and recreating success mm-hmm. without him and the coach is probably not going to work out as mm-hmm. well, because mm-hmm. I just don't, yeah. like I said, Ty Lue's probably not as much of that as Mike Brown was, but hey, Mike Brown's a good coach, and he's, you know, he's what got LeBron going through his younger days, but I just, I don't, I, I think that's the wrong coach for a Clippers team that's going to have a lot of turmoil and a lot of questions that be answered mm-hmm. soon, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Mike Brown the person. Um, I I think he seems like a dude you'd love to have a beer with. He just seems like a great, great dude. Uh, and I think he's a great assistant coach. I think we we have a lot of uh, we have a pretty substantial track record that would suggest that he is he's not he's not a great coach. Um, so I think that that is a I think that that is a bad a bad play for the, for the Clippers. I think that's a regression, not a not a progression. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I I would like to see my, I would like to see Mike Brown stay on the bench in Golden State where I think he is great I think he gets mm-hmm. he gets along with those players really well I think he's a good intermediary um, he works well with Kerr I I don't love him as a as a head coach option like I I think um, he would le- like legitimately have more success going with Nate McMillan in that situation because like like if mm-hmm. you're gonna do something like that that's a, like with a 
kind of like yeah. a nicer guy, safer hire, like go with Nate McMillan instead. Like Mike Brown is just getting the call because he works for the Warriors and he, in his name, you know. And, and yeah, who, no, I, I'm I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. I think they they would if it was me. Well, if it was me, I wouldn't have fired Doc Rivers. Sure. Um, but but I I think I would probably. Yeah, I'd I'd prefer McMillan to to Mike Brown there. We didn't talk about Rivers either. I mean, we we did. We just didn't talk. He he had not officially been hired before mm-hmm. we uh, we got to the air last week. But we talked about it pretty substantially last week, just with um, him getting let go by the Clippers, and then <clears throat> kind of speculated on the fit with with Philly. Just real fast, do you have any additional thoughts on now that he's officially? Headed to Philly, do you, what, what do you I think I mean, we talked there? about it, that specific place, because we wondered, we speculated if he would be considered, you know. I think it was just crazy how quickly it happened, because it seemed like, mm-hmm. you know, when we talked last week, like, Ty Lu was the the name. You know, that was the guy that we thought was going to get get put there. And then it just mm-hmm. basically... Once he once Docker was available, it was just it was like he he immediately went to the front of the line and it just you know within I think it was three days he ended up getting hired. So um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm I think it's I think that's definitely a better solution for them than Mike D'Antoni. Um, so I think that Same. they definitely kind of dodged that bullet a little bit. I still I, I worry that Doc is going to be able to get. Um, I, I feel like Doc's going from two potentially you know volatile team or potentially volatile clubhouse to another potentially volatile clubhouse. And I just, you know, I wonder how that's going to go with him. So, uh, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, like we said, he's, he's a great coach and he, his, his in-game adjustments and his in-series adjustments aren't probably what they should be. But, you know, that's, that's yeah. about as probably as good as you could get if you're Philly in that situation with the names that have been mm-hmm. thrown around. So. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, his one of the main things about being in Philly is you is how are you going to manage Simmons and Embiid? How are you going to get them on the same page? Get them playing well together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, up until this year, I would have told you Doc would be great at that. You know, last year with Kawhi and Paul George and the way that those two sides of the team, the, the you know the 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 Kawhi side and the the Pat Bev scrappy side that had been there for a couple of years, the way those things could not mesh together, and the way clearly. Everybody was not thrilled with Paul George. I that maybe that did a little bit of damage to Doc's reputation as somebody who can manage egos and stuff. Um, so we'll see. But I, I, I mean, he's a he's a substantially better coach than Brett Brown. He's a substantially better fit than Mike D'Antoni. Um, so I, I, I think that ultimately that's. I think you, if you can come away with the best coach on the market, which I think they did, then then you should probably feel pretty good about mm-hmm. it. Uh, over overall but i would have lo- i mean we both said I, I would have loved to have seen doc go to new orleans i think that would have been interesting to see what he could do but i also understand for him, from his standpoint of he's approaching 60 years mm-hmm. old he's not really here for a not necessarily a rebuild but but a team that is very much on the on the ground floor of what they hope to achieve and maybe he says to himself it'd be it's a lot maybe not easier path but it's it's potentially a quicker path to go to philly and and work with those guys uh, since they kind of have the the pieces together. Um, just a matter of can you make them work. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> I want to touch on this super fast. There was a note that came out of Mark came out of the New York Post from Mark Berman. Uh, they got passed around by the various aggregators. That uh, <laughs> I'm just going to read you the headline, which is the New York Knicks 
would have to trade Kevin Knox in a potential deal for Chris Paul, sources told Mark Berman of the New York Post. Um, I just want to bring it to Mark Berman and to the New York Post and perhaps to the New York Knicks organization as a whole. Um, you get to trade Kevin Knox. You don't. <laughs> it is not some sort of loss that your organization is undertaking. Kevin Knox is terrible. I, I just... I, I know, like, they're bringing in Kenny Payne, and they think that they're going to reach him, and he certainly hasn't had good coaching his his whole run there, so maybe. But, like, Kevin Knox is not a good basketball player. So if <laughs> if the trade is – if you decide that Chris Paul is what is going to make your team better, which I don't know. I don't know if that's a good fit for him whatsoever. But, but if you decide it's Chris Paul or Victor Oladipo or whoever that you're going to go after – Kevin Knox cannot be the person that gets in the way of making mm-hmm. that deal. And it's so stupid to report it otherwise. Yeah. Cause there's I, I like I'm with you. I don't know if Chris Paul is the person that's going to make them better, but if you have a chance to get him in in Kevin Knox or really anybody on that team There's nobody. Yeah. yeah. Anybody yeah, exactly. on that team should not be a person that stops you from getting oh. Chris Paul. Short RJ Barrett, short of maybe. them That's it. Yeah. yeah RJ Mitchell Barrett Robinson, and short of them yeah. getting rid of all of their players. Like you you mm-hmm. shouldn't do that. Like but if <laughs> like I'm not saying I would go trade any picks for Chris Paul necessarily, but if they're like if if the Thunder are like, you know, give us, you know, I don't know, j- uh, Julius Randle and Kevin Knox, and then be like, okay, where uh-huh. do I sign right now before you can change your <laughs> mind? Because, gosh, I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm with oh you. Mitchell gosh. Mitchell Robinson oh. and, and RJ Barrett might be the only untouchables yeah. in that particular trade. I don't think there's, I don't yeah. think there's anybody untouchable on that team theoretically. But no, no, your t- it's a terrible yeah. team. There's no, yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you. I. The the more important thing I think from this is is it's sort I mean we kind of knew this but it sort of uh, maybe clarifies the what the Thunder are looking for. They're obviously they have to have salary that matches somewhat or where you know I won't, I, th- I would imagine that the Thunder want to take as little salary return as they can get. But you know whatever the rule, whatever it ends up being, they'll take that money back, and they are looking for a first round pick and a young prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently, they prefer Kevin Knox to uh, Dennis Smith Jr. or Frank Nilakina. I mean, again, that's those are three of the. <laughs> if this was like if this was baseball, you know, and we're and we're uh, we're, we're baseball prospectus is is comparing the uh, young players in in the organization. You know, these are very low players compared to the rest of the league. Um, obviously, the Knicks would prefer to send DSJ or or Nilakina, but because I guess Knox has at least five percent more potential than those two dudes. But uh, but yeah, uh, I it was I was dying when that came across uh, the Twitter feed with from uh, I think it was from Real GM, but but it was being aggregated by lots of different sources. But it was hilarious to me the way that it was phrased. Just well, and honestly, like this sounds this might be a hot take, but I I think I might even like say. I'll keep Nilakina over Knox. You know, like there's there's some part of yeah. there's some At least you can play defense. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. some things that Nilakina does that makes me makes him less tradable in my opinion because sure. he stays healthy and he plays defense and Knox doesn't do either one of those things. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. gosh, what yeah. I, I love that the Knicks are evergreen when it comes to giving us things to laugh at. So it's keep it it's up, okay. guys. <clears throat> 
it's like a full-time job, um, which which I love. Another guy who's rumored to be moving this offseason and and I sac- look, is Buddy Heald. Sacramento is doing everything they can to try to put a cap on that and say, no, 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 we're not we're not interested in trading Buddy Heald. We're not going to be forced into this position, blah, 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 blah. I get the feeling that that is less a an organizational assurance that they are going to keep him and more the organization trying to keep it from looking like a dumpster fire so that they can get the most return for for Buddy Heald or I guess for Bogdanovich if they decide to do a, a you know some sort of sign and trade with him um Buddy is not returning Luke Walton's calls. Apparently, they can't get a hold of him. I Buddy is an is a really interesting case to me. I imagine he's going to come up pretty substantially when we talk about you know when we get into the actual off season and we start talking about um, free agents and the draft and and potential trade targets and things like that. So maybe we don't need to go long here, but I'm fascinated by what happens with Buddy because on paper he is the type of guy who could help a lot of teams including our team he'd be a I think he'd be a pretty great fit next to Luca and, and KP and the rest um he also very clearly at this point has the reputation of being a malcontent and of being uh surly and difficult and you're I think in organi- any organization and I'm, I'm curious what you think on this I know you love Buddy so I I, I think any organization that takes him in has got to to fi- be able to figure out before they swing for the you know the, before they make that deal, they've got to be able to say, all right, this is just the result of Sacramento is is a train wreck and has always been a train wreck, and when we get into our organization with our infrastructure, whether you're the Mavs or Philly or um, I don't know the Knicks or the Grizzlies or or whoever else. Um, that that we're going to be able to fix that, and that playing time and having a good coach and all these sorts of things will will fix that situation. Do you feel like that is the case with Buddy? Do you think he's going to? He just he's a change of scenery guy, and once he gets to some place that is not Sacramento, he'll be uh, he'll kind of put some of this stuff behind him. Or are we concerned that this is who Buddy Hield is, and and it's that's the guy that you're going to get when you make a trade for him. Somebody who's pretty surly and, and not easy to do. I think a lot of that really depends on where he goes. Um, because if you go into a winning situation and somebody or a team that has strong leaders and, you know, and you try to pull that crap that you're pulling in San, you know, in, in Sacramento, it's not going to work. I mean, like they're going to, like they're mm-hmm. going to get you off the court. They're not going to let you play. They're going to, you know, and eventually you'll get kicked out of that, of that squad. And, you know, but if he goes to another team where that's kind of like Sacramento, where he has free reign and and there's not good leaders that can keep him reined in, like I, mm-hmm. I I agree with you. I don't think it'll be a good fit. I think it'll be pretty rough. And you know, I so like I think it really does depend on one. He's gonna have to go to you know a team that can help him grow like like mentally as well. And two, mm-hmm. like he's yeah, gonna have to be sure. willing to kind of bite a little bit of a bullet to like just kind of say like you know what like i'm i'm not a max player even though i'm getting paid to be a max player and i need to come in and be Mm -hmm. a third or a fourth guy and i might need to come off the bench most nights and that is what i'm afraid i'm not sure he's going to be able to do that i think it'll be and again that if he goes to i don't know like the mavs like that worries me in some respects because like the mavs are not you know 
by any stretch the one of the better like best teams in the league, but they can be. But if you if you tell him no, you're coming off the bench. How is he going to handle mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Versus like if he goes to somehow makes it to like I don't know, say Milwaukee, like and he's a yeah. six man, but he's also the you know uh, a finals contender. How is he going to? How is his psyche going to handle that? You know, so he sure. just like yeah. and he was kind of like this in OU too. I mean, because both you and I watched him a lot in college because he was, you know, he played in a conference close to here and he's from here. And, mm-hmm. But at OU, like, it was, if Buddy's not happy, give Buddy the ball and he can do whatever he wants. And that's just not how right, right. his stint in the NBA has been anywhere. You know, and he's been to two different teams mm-hmm. now and had the same problem. So, yeah, you know, it, eventually there's going to be a point where he's going to have to step up if he wants to be a star. He's going to have to step up and, and change how he does things or else he's just going to be a journeyman that may be out of the league in a couple of years. So... Yeah, that's my that's the thing with, for me with him. I I I worry. I'm reading this. I'm reading Jeff Perlman's book right now, the Three Ring Circus, the new uh, the new book that he just put out on on the Shaq Kobe Lakers. And so maybe some of this is jaded a little bit based on that. But like, Buddy feels a little bit like an old school kind of player in the wrong ways. Like mm-hmm. he he kind of brings a, a, an attitude or, or at least it seems this way from afar. Now, maybe if you, I mean, there's lots of guys that when you watch them for 82 games a year on your team, you, you know, you see totally different things, um, than what for us, you know, being so far removed from it and whatnot. And it's not like I'm listening to Sacramento pod, uh, Kings podcast on a daily basis or anything. So maybe I'm way off base, but he comes across as somebody who, wants uh a bigger role than he he's really qualified for he's a he's a great shooter and a good scorer and uh and he does a little bit of other things and it's you know it's all well and good but like he's not an all-star he's maybe if you really want to project him as like the the best potential that he has is like a borderline all-star kind of guy but he can still contribute he's getting paid um and he can play he can play a valuable role on a lot he'd be a great fit in milwaukee my goodness um I didn't even think about that one. That'd be that'd be a great pull, but I worry that he that he um, is going to be dissatisfied if he's not getting a starring role, and that he might be the kind of guy who is happier averaging twenty six, twenty seven points a game on a thirty win team mm-hmm. than he is averaging nineteen points a game on a fifty two win team. Yeah. And that's the kind of guy that, and that's what that's what teams have got to figure out. They they got to. They've got to, you know, piece that together and decide. Okay, what? Who are we? Really? Not young. Like he's twenty eight years old. He was old in college. Mm-hmm. Remember, he had the the birth certificate thing, where it turns out he was actually older than what he had said. Or well, and he did. He wasn't a one right. and done yeah, player he in, either. He was in college so. for what three years, I think. Um, so there's. Oh, he was a four year player. Gosh, I forgot. I forgot four year players even existed. Um, so like, there's a lot that goes into that decision. If you're going to bring him in, you should be getting a guy who is in, who is literally entering his prime right now. Um, and instead, I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. Um, that, you know, again, uh, good organizations have got to figure out: is this a guy that we can fix? Is this a guy who we don't even need to fix? He just needs a different uh, change of scenery, a different place, or, or is it a guy that's going to be that way for, for the bulk of his career? Um, and we'll see. Um, in and also, in his defense, he has played for two of the worst organizations oh, yeah, sure. in his yeah. career. Like, cause when, and because whenever he was in New Orleans, it was whenever they were being very mm-hmm. poorly yeah. run. No so, question. No question. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like we're saying that you know he's 
hasn't had a reason to be like this, you know, some, but like that's, this is kind of like a turning point for him. Like he's going to have to show that it really was New Orleans and it really was Sacramento. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to come in here and do my thing, you know? And so that's, that's, we'll see. So, all right, Tobin, I think we've got time before we get into Lakers heat. uh, I've got a quick game for you. Okay. This game I'm introducing to the podcast. It may be a total train wreck, but, uh, but we'll see. This game is called more or less. I'm going to give you the name of a player. I've, I've, I focused exclusively on 90s basketball players because I'm in a very 90s basketball mood lately. <laughs> um, but they're not obscure players. Always. Okay? I'm going to give you the name of the player, and then I'm going to give you a, a random fact or stat regarding their career, and you have to decide <clears throat> whether, the, stat, whether the, the actual answer to this question is more or less than the number I give you. Does that make sense? It's very price is right. Here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first sure. one up, Joe Smith, former number one pick uh, in 1995. That's depressing. <laughs> Tough year, man. <laughs> Kevin Garnett, Michael Finley on the board, Rasheed Wallace on the board, and we ended up with Joe Smith. But, hey, everybody would take Joe Smith number one. Can't, can't give the Warriors too much crap for this. Joe Smith played for more or less – the number of teams <laughs> in his career that he played for more or less than 12 teams. <laughs> uh, I think it's more. I think he, I think he played for quite okay. a bit of teams. So okay, I'm going to more. more. Yeah, you are correct. He answer. played for 14 teams in the NBA, golden state, Philadelphia, <laughs> Minnesota, Detroit, Minnesota, again, Milwaukee, Denver, Philadelphia, again, Chicago, Cleveland, Oklahoma city, Cleveland, again, Atlanta, the Nets, and he finished off with the Lakers. Uh, in <laughs> he was on the bench the year that the Mavs slaughtered the Lakers in in the playoffs uh, in 2011. So, Gosh. good job. You're one for one so far. And the fact that he kept going back to those teams <laughs> too, like like it, <laughs> yeah. that was like three different I returns. I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, Nick Anderson, uh, he of the Orlando Magic, uh, the man who missed four consecutive free throws. Make your yep, free throws in game Nick. one of the 1995 NBA Finals. Ultimately led to the Rockets sweeping the Magic in that in that final series. Um, Nick Anderson, after that season, after he missed four consecutive free throws in the finals in game one, how the I'm going to say two. Two times the remainder of his career did he shoot 70% or higher from the free throw line, more or less. After 94, Okay, after rephrase 95, the question for me again. Okay. Nick Anderson shot 70% or higher from the free throw line two times in his career for the remainder. And I will tell you, he played one, two, three, four, five, six more seasons. How many times I'm giving you two as the number, more or less than two times he shot 70% from the free throw line? I'm going to say less. I think it got in his head if I remember correctly. Zero times in his career after that point did he shoot 70% from the free throw line. Gosh, and in fact, what a what a poor <laughs> thing to be remembered for. I did I, too. I loved him whenever he I was. Whenever he's in the his real, prime. This is the, this was the most depressing thing was that season. Uh, he shot seventy percent that <coughs> season that he missed uh, missed all those free throws. The next season he came back and hit sixty nine percent. Nice. And the year after that he dropped to forty percent. Can you imagine <laughs> Nick Anderson shooting forty percent? Tough times. Tough times for Nick Anderson. Okay. 
Dominique Wilk. No, you know what? I'm going to save that one for the last one because then I have a little segue. Latrell Sprewell, one of my favorite players of this era. Uh, I make I, I <laughs> more or less how one coach that he choked. Right, it's got to be more, no? right? Like okay. we know about one, but surely, <laughs> surely somebody else caught it at some point. Um, Rick Adelman or something. Latrell Sprewell famously turned down a contract offer from the Minnesota Timberwolves for three years, twenty-one million dollars, saying that it was insulting that he had to feed his family. That ultimately ended up being the last <laughs> year that he played in the NBA. Nobody would sign him afterwards. Over the course of Latrell Sprewell's career. He made more or less than a hundred million dollars. Oh, that's a hundred percent less. Man, There's you're no three for three, mind. but it was close. He made ninety-seven million dollars yeah. in his career. I would have bet under ninety. I would have bet Man. way under that. Like I, that's shocking. I'm to learning me that he about made this game. I'm learning how to how to trick you uh, moving forward. Okay, good job. You're three for three so far. Two more to go quickly. Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell, who was a rookie on the 93-94 Rockets team that won the championship, he, he had a stint in Dallas uh, post the Jason Kidd trade. Kind of played all over the place. Sam Cassell, in his career, was involved in more or less than seven trades. Oh. Uh, that's a good number because I know he was in a lot, but a I, lot I, I, of I teams like he over was the course too, of that, that career. Mm, I'm going to say less. Dang it. You're four for four. He, he was involved in six trades. Six okay. trades. I, fig- I figured he's, because I, I know he's had a bunch of like <laughs> veteran did. minimum yeah. Sign, yeah. signings. He bounced too, around. But Don't so, look up Sam Cassell on, yeah. on uh, Basketball Reference, Tobin, because I'm a, if, we do, if we continue to do more or less games, I've got another one involving involving Sam Cassell. I just didn't have time <laughs> to get through it tonight because the thing with Sam Cassell is not just that he was traded six times in his career. It's that almost all of them were like 400 players swapping places. It was, they were all like three team deals and stuff. So oh, I've got yeah. a good one for him later. Last one, you're four for four. Let's see if you can finish off this perfect run. Dominique Wilkins in the course of his illustrious hall of fame, top 70 ish player of all time career. Dominique Wilkins had more or less than 20 total playoff wins. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go less because I think that's one of the things that people Wrong. know. Wrong. It's the very most. close. He, had tw- he finished wins, 22 playoff wins over mm. the course of his career. I got that from a, a hoops hype list. They did a top 10 or whatever. It was, ended up being like top 20 or something players who have never made the NBA finals in their career. And they based it on just playoff wins real fast. I'm going to give you the top 10 here and then we'll get into heat Lakers top 10 of players who by most playoff games, uh, one who never made it to the NBA finals. Number 10 is Bob Lanier with 30. Number nine, Walter Davis with 34. Number eight, Vince Carter, your boy with 38. Number seven, Chris Weber with 40. Number six, PG-13, 41. Number five, Jermaine O'Neal, 42. Number four, Sidney Moncrief, 43. Number three, this surprised me a little bit, Joe Johnson, ISO Joe, 40, 53, 53 playoff wins, no, no finals. Number two, CP3, Whoa, 53 okay. as well. And number one, do you have a guess real fast? One of our favorite players of all time. 
Former Mav. I have no idea. Two-time MVP, Steve Nash. 50, I really don't know. 57 playoff wins, uh, but no finals appearances. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Resume. That is. That is. All right. Yeah, that's, that's the Dan Tony curse right there. Hawks and Nets, man. He just oh, yeah. and he had Joe Johnson first get on his with playoff the, wins uh, with? with the Suns that first year of, of seven seconds or less. Uh, they they got a, they went to the conference finals that year. Um, so yeah. he also played for the Nets for I like. I don't remember him being years, that productive so. on the Hawks, but those things sort of rack okay. up after a while. All right, speaking of the finals, yeah. let's let's do it. Let's talk Lakers Heat. We sit. Uh, right at this moment, as we record um, at three-one Lakers, let's completely ignore Game One. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, and you know what? For the sake of it, let's ignore Game Two. The only thing I'll say on Game Two is, I felt like Game One was a, was a scheduled loss coming in, uh, and that Game Two was where we would actually see Miami like what they're capable of. And unfortunately, the Bam and and Dragic injuries. I don't want to say that it cost them game two. I don't really believe that, but it definitely cost us, the viewers, from having an enjoyable game two experience because the Heat were kind of, they really, I mean, Spo really looked like he was just kind of throwing stuff out there and seeing if anything stuck in in game two, and it was it was pretty rough. The only the the real the only real takeaway mm-hmm. I had from game two was I was dying for them to get out of the zone. Because Anthony Davis was just destroying their zone, and and they he, they just seem seem too stuck on it. Game three is mm-hmm. where things got interesting. Um, let's let's talk about game three and the game four, and then we'll kind of give some last thoughts on on where we think the series is going and what maybe what Miami can do uh, to extend this to a game six or a game seven, if for no other reason than for us, so that we have something to talk about next week and a little bit more basketball to watch. Uh, what were your takeaways in game three? <laughs> I, you know, everybody was wanting to count out the Heat in game three because of what they were dealing with with no um, Dragic and no Bam. And I think I even texted you at one point and said, I don't think that the series is going to necessarily swing back, <laughs> but I, I did expect Jimmy Butler yeah. to go crazy that game. Now, I did not expect him to go 40 points, triple-double crazy. And I, and I, I figured that there would be a little bit of fight, but I wouldn't have been surprised if the Lakers still pulled it out in the end. And... The thing that I don't know if it was surprise is the right word that, mm-hmm. to use, but they it just it just seemed like they were just like resigned to well we're gonna lose this one you know, and that's what it felt like. And I know like you know Anthony Davis was in foul trouble, and I was just like you know, but also Anthony Davis, you can't put yourself in a position mm-hmm. to be like that you know in that situation too. Like you need to be feasting on a team without Bam Adebayo right now. And so um, yeah, I think AD was pretty ridiculous. Um, he disappeared, and I think Jimmy. Jimmy Butler's showing that he can still do that, you know, and still kind of kind of take over a game, but also I don't know, it was you know, it was, it was good. It was it was a good game mm-hmm. to watch. It was probably the first game that was like actually like fun to watch out of the 3 too. but you know, like I said, I I, I it was a good game to watch. I I think I left sure. that game thinking that was fun. It's probably the only one they're going to get. I, and so that's that's probably I'm still with you. I thought game three, well. that's okay. This is the one that they'll get in a gentleman's sweep. Um, and that may still come to come to fruition. I, they were more impressive to me than just this is your token win over the course of, of a five game uh, series. It, it, it was, they really had to go and take that. Um, 
I LeBron was not good. LeBron was r- real bad in that game. I thought his stat line was fine. What he finished with like uh, like twenty five, mm-hmm. ten, and eight. But he had eight turnovers. The team had nineteen turnovers. The Heat got out of the, finally got out of that two three zone and sort of rotated between man and like a one two two zone at times, and they were giving them different looks. It surprised me that they didn't do more of that in game one of two uh, game one and two. Excuse me, because. That, I think, is one of the things that the Heat have going for them is that they can kind of on the fly switch their defense and give you a different look. And better, I think better than any team in the league. And they sort of got stuck in that 2-3 in that and really really stayed with it. But I like them fronting AD. I, 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 I'm a big proponent of, yeah, it takes a lot of team discipline to do it, but if I, I'm a big proponent of fronting if you can if you can if you can figure out how to pull it off because it just puts so it, that lob pass over the top is so much mm-hmm. harder to throw than than people realize and to complete that without running uh, AD or or whoever you're throwing mm-hmm. it to right into a help defender from the baseline and stuff it's it's really tough and so I thought that was a really smart move it took AD out of his groove because because games two especially game two I. <laughs> I don't want this to turn into AD bashing because, especially defensively, he was, I mean, mostly defensively, he was outstanding in game four. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, I mean, game one and two, he, he was great all over the place. I, I remain in the camp that is still somewhat underwhelmed by Anthony Davis more often than not. And, I think that the more pressure you can put on him, the better your the better off your team is. And they one and two, game one and two, they really let him off the hook from a pressure standpoint because he he just didn't have to do anything. He got to just he got to hang out on the baseline and catch catch lobs and little dump offs mm-hmm. all day long, and it just it made it easy on him. So I, I thought they were smart to really take it to him and uh, and put some pressure on him. And I. I think that pressure played through most of game four as well. I, I really think he was kind of in his head um, offensively. Defensively, not so much. He was a beast defensively. But but I like that. I thought that was smart. And I was a little angry. It stinks that we didn't get to record between games two and three because I felt like, and we texted about this a little bit, uh, but I felt like Olenek could could be valuable here, Could could unlock something for – for the heat and uh, that big time came through in game three. I mean, he was really, really good. Uh, and maybe their second best player in, in game three and stretched the floor and, and just made things difficult for the Lakers. And I, I dug that, um, a couple of stats on Jimmy cause his game you mentioned is, was incredible. One of the best games in fi- NBA finals history. Um, all these stats came from, from ESPN, on uh, on Wendy's show, but uh, he he finished with forty eleven and thirteen. He gen- generated thirty three points from his passes, twenty six assist opportunities, and on those twenty six shots, uh, the Heat shot thirteen of twenty six with seven threes, which is crazy. He also produced ten uncontested shots for his teammates, and for him with his shooting. Nine of 15 contested shots, which is ridiculous. Just a ridiculously high uh, field goal rate there. And 12 of 18 unassisted where he just, and I mean that, and you, you may not, we may not have said, I may not have been able to say, oh, he was 12 of 18 from, from the floor unassisted in that game. But if you watch that game, you knew, oh, as soon as he got 
anyone on him who was not LeBron or AD, and sometimes even when it was LeBron, he took it right at their chest, dribbled as many times as it took to get as close to the basket as he could, and put in a bucket. I mean, it was, it was awesome watching him play basketball um, in game three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the yeah. thing about him too is that he he is a junkyard dog basketball player, and that's and that's what makes the him, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. one of the perfect fits for this um, for this team. You know, because it it fits well with what they do. the The thing about Game Three too was it just there wasn't going to be any stopping him, and the, the, but. The thing with like with AD is like I, the reason why it's hard for me to kind of like give him credit when credit's due is because one it bothers me how he got there and two like this is what he needs he needs to be able to to ride the baseline and let LeBron take the weight off of him and there's nothing wrong with that because that's the NBA that we're working in right now but it also means that like when he does have games like Game Three it it just further accentuates that you know, he is not the superstar level player. Cause I mean, after like game one and I think even game two, there was a lot of like, you know, pick your top five in the NBA. Yeah. And then he was like number two on everybody's list. And I was like, come on guys. Like just cause he's I mean, playing he, with the bronze yeah, totally. well, Look, he's a superstar. Doesn't mean he's like the he's second best player in the NBA. Player. Like, whatever. Give him top a break. Five, seven, 10, whatever you want to put. He's, he's one of the best players in the league. There's no question about that. But also, I mean, let's be real. He's, he gets to, he gets to play with LeBron. It takes uh, what takes away so much pressure from what you have to do on the floor when you get to play with LeBron. It's it's just I don't know. I was I was grumpy and petty after Game mm-hmm. Two as well because it was like it wasn't just you know top three player in the league. It was uh who you know <laughs> here's a picture of AD and here's a picture of Kevin Garnett. Who you got? Here's a picture of AD. And a picture of Dirk, who you got, you know, this kind of thing. And I just, it made me very grouchy. It's just like, just uh, how many, how many teams has Anthony Davis carried to the finals? Yeah. Okay. Well then let's, yeah. let's shut it. Let's, this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. It, He's had one good playoff yeah. series where he carried a team like, like, and that was no, and, phenomenal, and, but right. also there's nothing he's wrong not with that. the second and best also, player in the league right but this now. Is like, why and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's just of why he's not that. Play- and I, I can't, man, now I've talked, our, <laughs> we've talked ourselves into to trashing AD, which is not what we're, that's not what I wanted to do. Cause I think he's a great basketball player. I just, game three is a great example of why <sighs> Anthony Davis to me still is not, not really anywhere close to that upper stratosphere which again is fine but that upper stratosphere of of great nba power forwards and big men in history is he he disappeared in game three he straight up was not relevant on the court for much of game three Mm -hmm. and he had a couple of moments here and there but he he does this thing yes 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 in a game that where bam at a bio is off the court that can't happen right like you know, if, if Bam's on the court, yeah. and you do that. But it's not the same as reasoning like LeBron. I don't there, think was there's, good there's in game no three reason for either, that one. But Bam's it wasn't a it wasn't a disappearing act. And this is a thing that Anthony Davis does every five six games. He just I don't know if it's he decides to take it off or he just can't get his intensity up or what. But he looks uncomfortable on the court. He maybe he was having a hard time processing what the Heat were doing and the changes in their de- their defensive setup and stuff like that. But like you got to figure it out. If you're a top, if you really are one of the the best players in the league, then you got to figure that stuff out. And he does this 
I don't know. I mean, he did it. He he did it in a couple of games against the mm-hmm. the Rockets. He did it in a game or two against the Nuggets. He did it in a game, almost two games already in this series. So it's it's, I don't know. It's frustrating. I just think if you are that great player, it's not a matter of you're having an off night or you're missing shots or whatever. That happens to everybody. But if you really truly are one of the greats in the league, then you show up. You show up in the finals. I don't know. It it just made me. Made me a little grouchy. So you said you felt like Game Three was like okay, that's the one yeah. they're getting, and that's the end Agreed. of it. I think. What, did you did you have any sense of? Uh, I'll say it for myself. I kind mm-hmm. of felt like not quite to the level of some of those some of those final series where or or playoff series where you say uh oh, uh, like for example Raptors Bucks last year. I thought Game Three. Coming out of that game, I thought, uh-oh, I think the Raptors figured this out. I, I, th- I think the Bucks are in trouble here. Um, or at the very least, I think the Raptors figured out enough to, be, to make this a real legit series. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way going into game four, or was it more of, eh, this is, this, you know, they got a game and that's kind of the end of it? No. <clears throat> well, and here's the thing, and I, I, I alluded to this on, on the, when I predicted Lakers in six, is you know, the, the you know for two reasons. One, we saw the video of Dragic working out before, and that yeah, was like a clear. Man. I mean, you know, and props to him for trying to get going on that that kind of injury. Like that's that's just impossible, and for and sure. not you know, and it, and it speaks a lot about his heart that he's willing to even go out there and try to do, get it going. Um, that's one reason because even if Bam came back, Bam's not going to be a hundred percent. You know, so that's a big that's a big caveat as to why they're going to struggle. But also, like I said, when we when we mm-hmm. pre- when we preview this, like it's one thing to see that turning point on on gains and stuff, but you can't take out the factor of okay, they they still have LeBron, yeah. and LeBron is the trump card in a lot of this stuff because he's going to make the teams you know around him mm-hmm. like be mm-hmm. able to succeed. 90 like nine times out of 10 in these situations especially in it's with a team that doesn't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and also a team that is injury laden like there's just no like like you said LeBron didn't have a great game three but he was still LeBron and he was still able to get to you know he didn't he doesn't disappear he still gets some buckets when he needs to get buckets and in he didn't let that game get away from them too much you know whereas like sometimes in those situations um if they let the game, if they let the, you know, the heat run away mm-hmm. with it and just, just, just demoralize them, it, that can bleed over into the next game. The same reason that he didn't go out in game two or maybe in game one, I think it was game one. Mm-hmm. Like he, he didn't go out and he even said, like, sure. I remember in 2011, whenever we were up, like, I'm not going to do that again, you know? And so like he, that's the, I think that's the difference in him and a lot of players is that he still plays like he, you know, he has a sure. reason behind it, even if he's... His yeah, that's fair. That's, that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think it was well. much more... A little, much more bullish on on the Heat post-Game 3 going into Game 4. I, I, I thought, man, getting... There was a little bit of... There was a little bit of a look in LeBron and definitely a look in Jimmy that I thought... Um, uh, they, they, they might've, they might got something here. They, they may, they may have him on the ropes a little bit and, 
and Jimmy's in full. I think I looked smart until about five minutes left in the first half. Um, and I, I put this all – I thought, look, we, we have gone on and on <laughs> yeah. and on over the course of these playoff series. I think Spo is probably the best X's and O's coaches in the league, coach in the league. I thought he was – he had a bad game for, and it, that was, it, was, it was trouble. Um, it wasn't just him, but mm-hmm. to me, the biggest thing in game four as far as a, man, this is what the Heat are doing wrong – uh, versus this is what the Lakers are doing right. The biggest thing was was the shot selection in the first half of Game Four by the Heat was abysmal. It was, and that's like so opposite of what you typically. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I know Robinson and Hero, and it they're w- out there to gun, and their 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 whole role is to is to get shots, and you're gonna see them take a couple of every game that you're like, it's not a great shot, but it doesn't really matter because. It's it's about the willingness to take them. Some of the shots by Hero and Robinson for sure, uh, but also Jay Crowder and also my gosh Kendrick Nunn just went full John Starks in this game. My goodness. Um, but yeah, like there yeah. there was a stretch Good in the gracious. second half where I think the Heat rough. had it out to maybe eight or ten points. I can't remember exactly what the what the number was. And there was a, a solid, and LeBron was out maybe, and there was a solid like three, four minute stretch that I think was like the, the last minute or two of LeBron before he sat down and had a rest. And then the first couple minutes um, when he was on the bench where the Heat got stops and then they came down the other floor to the other end of the floor and somebody hoisted the worst shot of all time. I mean, just like just garbage shot left and right. And when they go into the halftime, and I, I told you and, and Ariel, too, I was like, man, it feels like the Heat should be up by, by 12 or 15 points right now. And instead, this is a really tight game. And you, you just had maybe the mm-hmm. worst six quarters of LeBron in the finals since 2011. He wasn't very good in game three, and he was terrible in the first half of game four. And then he comes out in, in the third quarter, and he's back, and he's ready to go. And I just – I was – Watching that third quarter, I was like, "They've they screwed this up. They screwed this up with their terrible shot selection and and the Kendrick none of it all. And and now now it's done. Now that now they're done in this game. Mm-hmm. And probably done in series mm-hmm. as well. I mean, like that's the thing is like if you're if you're going to be shorthanded like they were, like those are the kind of games that you have to win, it, like in order to get back in the series. On top of the fact that you probably are never yeah. going to get, Gosh. you know, Bam full strength, and I'm pretty sure Dragic is done for the season, you know. And so, like, if you had a chance to win that game in mm-hmm. that situation, like, mm-hmm. you really had to comp- like capitalize yeah, and it's a bummer on it. Too. And Bam it just, you know, was that, that's probably the end of that. Closer to fifty percent than a hundred percent. He he didn't look right out there, and there was a couple times where I saw him, mm-hmm. you know, like on a rebound or something like that, kind of do the shoulder flex thing that you do when when your shoulders jacked up and trying to to get it loose. Um, and that was, mm-hmm. that's tough. That's tough. But yeah, they, they missed Drogic so much and, and maybe more than, than at any point in this year. I think, I thought they needed him real bad because one of the smart things, of league, I got to give Vogel credit, uh, basically benched Dwight Howard after seven minutes, which is the right thing to do. He can't play in this series. Um, and they put Anthony Davis on Jimmy Butler, which I, in hindsight, you're like, well, duh, that's a really smart play to make. But I didn't really see that coming. I, want, I wonder if the Heat saw that coming. And so you give Jimmy Butler a tiny – you give him a little bit more space 
Um, and then he's trying to drive into somebody who is massive and was like second on all defense this year. And then they kind of cut down some of the passing lanes and stuff, which was a huge part, obviously, like we said, of, of game three. I thought that was a, a genius adjustment and that may have swung things as much as anything else beyond maybe mm-hmm. just the, just the God awful shot selection. There was a point in that second quarter where the heat got an offensive rebound it bounced out to Jay Crowder, who was about maybe five, six feet behind the three-point line, 14 seconds on the shot clock. He immediately just hoists the, the worst-looking three you've ever seen, uh, bricks it, of course. They come down the other end. LeBron skates right by him, and instead of just letting it go, then he reaches in and commits a dumb foul on an and one. It's just like that's a six-point turnaround on just bad decision-making. Just straight up, that's all it is. It's just bad decision-making. Yeah. And let's also not, you know, forget the fact oh that they gosh. also were it's horrible at boxing out yeah. players. Like they Rajon Rondo was getting rebounds that he mm-hmm. should never mm-hmm. get over guys like, you know, Olenek and Crowder Rondo is and such a, other people. I mean, like, you know how much it hurts me to, to uh, compliment happen. Rondo, but he's maybe the best I've ever seen in the league of guy who understands that because you are not guarding him, uh, and and pr- because you are not worried about him shooting whatsoever, that also means you are susceptible to him coming in and getting a rebound because you're not boxing out, because you're not close to him, because uh, you're not worried about him shooting at all. He is th- maybe the smartest player I've ever mm-hmm. seen at, okay, cool, you're not going to guard me out here. That just means that on these long threes that, that you know, is 80% of what the NBA shoots anymore, on these long shots, I'm going to have... 10 feet of space to run and get to the spot and get up and get get the rebound. I mean, he, he, he created so many second chance opportunities for them at the, that the, at, for mm-hmm. the heat, the worst possible moments. It wasn't just that he, Oh, he got 27 re- offensive rebounds or something. It's just the ones that he got. It was just like, gosh, that is such a backbreaker that they couldn't get that, that board. Um, KCP was great too. Um, in this game mm-hmm. after being just, He, you know, he is sneaky. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. He, like, he, every game he has moments where you're like, dang, that was really good. You know, like, mm-hmm. and he just kind of, he kind of flies under the radar and he gets a lot of crap from LA fans, especially. But there's been times in this series yeah, that he's sure. hitting big sure. shots to he keep them out, keep them away from some the of loss, the other guys. I mean, know? and so I texted you, Kuzma yeah, it's, hit it's his first stuff. two shots, and I texted you and was like, that's a good thing for the Heat because he had that look of like, oh, now it's Kuz time. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to shoot 23 times. I think Vogel knew it too because he didn't play a lot. <laughs> I think Vogel was like, "We gotta, we gotta get this guy out. He's he's gonna shoot us right out of this game." Um, but yeah, man, I some of that stuff just drove mm-hmm. me nuts. And again, some of it is you miss shots, you miss shots. But some of it was, why are you taking these terrible shots? Why is Spo not? There was a couple times that I've, in the first half where I felt like Spo should have taken a timeout and said, "Guys, what are you doing? Stop playing like this." Um, I know that their bench is limited, especially with, with Dragic being out, and they don't have a lot of guard depth, but I I really need the best coach in the league to recognize that Kendrick Nunn is probably the Lakers' third best player because of how poorly he is playing for, for the Heat and to pull him. I mean, two for 11, if you would have told mm-hmm. me it was it was two for, for 18, I would believe you because he, he was just... He was all over the place with awful, awful basketball plays. We got to give him out. And the last thing I'll say is, is he were awful 
in, on, on ATOs, which is usually a, a hallmark of, of what, uh, what the Heat and what Spo does. And, and instead, I don't know how many times they came out of timeouts and got just garbage possessions right afterwards. And I mean, look, you, I mean, you know, kudos to the Lakers defense for scouting those things out. But, boy, it was, <laughs> it was rough watching, watching that stuff play out. Um, real quick, I know we're, we're about out of time here. By the time mm-hmm. we get back together <clears throat> next week, this will be over one way or the other, I imagine, unless we do an emergency podcast episode sometime between now and then. Game five, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Game five is on Friday. Game, if there is a game six, is Sunday. And then, again, if there is a game seven, I believe it's Tuesday. So um, by the time we get back together, this will be done. What do you see? What could the Heat do from your angle um, that could potentially force a game six and maybe even a game seven, let alone maybe, st- you know, steal the series. What, what do you think they need? What would you like to see more? I've got a couple thoughts, but I don't know. What, what do you see that they need to do to change this? I mean, I think it's going to take a lot of things to fall in the right place. I mean, I, I'm going to stick with my Lakers and six prediction. I feel like the heat will probably get game five. And I don't know. I mean, like, I think that, that mm-hmm. you can't, they're too good of a team and too well coached of a team to not make game five, at least interesting. Um, and hopefully bam with this extra this extra rest, will be able to get some, uh, some of his body back into shape. Uh, I think that if they, if they get bam back into where he needs to be in hero and Duncan Robinson really got to step up their shot making and their shot decisions. And then Butler's going to have to really like lead and yeah. take over a lot of this game. Um, for them to even have a chance. And even then, like that's, that's not even accounting mm-hmm. for, you know, if LeBron decides right. to go nuclear or if Anthony Davis can really pick on a, a, you know, banged up band. So man, I just like, I think that, like I said, it's going to, yeah. it's going to take the perfect I, I storm for them to get, even get back in it, in my opinion. I'm but not, yeah. I mean, it would be, obviously it would be a tremendous shocking thing if the heat came back and won uh, this series, obviously at three, one, it's, I mean, that's not happening. Uh, against LeBron but but I see things on the court that he, that to me again with somebody who is such a great coach like Spo that I can say man you could probably do you do some of these things and and I'm an idiot you know so um I think you're right if Bam you you hope that a game it's maybe not even that that he's healthier but just that it, having played a game he's more comfortable um I thought the Heat were at their best in that game when Bam was the initiator and was bringing mm-hmm. the ball of the court and just doing stuff against whoever was in front of him, even Anthony Davis. I'd like to see more of that. Um, Nick Nurse was on uh, mm-hmm. ESPN podcast with with uh, with Wendy and, and and Zach Lowe, and he pointed out, and I totally agree with this, that they should they should be running more pistol action for for Butler, bringing especially if they're going to guard him with Anthony Davis. Cool. All right. Well, let's get let's get Tyler Hero up here or or Duncan Robinson. Let's have them come up and set the screen and try to get uh, Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green or uh, even you know KCP or whoever. Let's get one of those guys switched on to Butler and see what we can do with that. Um, and Jimmy's got to shoot. I mean, the I I know he's a bad outside shooter. He passed up. Mm-hmm. way too many looks in game four that you just you just kind of have to say even if those don't go in if you can just show a willingness to take them then it it probably opens things up by five or ten percent and that that may be the difference if you 
or even mm-hmm. just doing what he did in game yep. three and just and just seeing those weaknesses and, and then driving the ball into their chest. I mean, even mm-hmm. if he does that, For you sure. know, you can open up passing lanes to get Hero and Robinson better looks than right. they're getting right, right now. But also, you're, you know, you might get AD in foul trouble. You might get LeBron in foul trouble. I mean, like, there's so many. If he does that more, that mm-hmm. taking over and and just, you know, I totally p- putting putting his head totally down agree. and driving the, the lane, I think is, that that's is, going to be help them a whole lot. This was, it was clear. It is clear that that one of the strategy decisions that the Heat have made is when we drive, we are going to be we're going to be looking for threes. We're going to be looking to to drive and dish for threes. And in game three, that was extremely effective. They were, I don't know what the number ended up being, but they generated a ton of open looks from the wing and the top of the key by having Butler and, and to a lesser extent, Hero drive hard and then kick it back out, even when probably there was a layup there. And then in game four, it was to their detriment. Um, They were doing that, that same, they went with the same strategy but I don't know how many times they pass up on on layups or potential layups that I think were better shots than what they generated out of the pass. And I, I would, if I was Spo, I would spend some time on trying to reverse that and say, okay, now they they're expecting that flip back out to the wing or to the top of the key. So instead, just take the daggone layup. Like let's just let's just try to get some buckets, and and then maybe that opens things up on the wing and and whatnot. But uh, I don't think it's a lost cause, but it also obviously wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me whatsoever if uh, if this was over Friday night and we were here sad on, on Wednesday talking about how there's no basketball anymore. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I just wish mm-hmm. we would have gotten a f- – <laughs> it really – I mean, injuries always stink, but Bam and, and Drogic being, both being out is, is a real – for sure. For sure, it's a real bummer to end this in yeah. this bubble this way because the bubble's so been stuff. highly All right, entertaining. Man, this has been good. So just, Thank you for being here, listeners. Yeah. We greatly appreciate you. We will be back, as I said, next week with more NBA Finals uh, content. We'll be talking about however many games we have between now and then, unless something ridiculous happens and we have to go into emergency podcast mode. Um, we'll finish those out and we'll get to looking at uh, the off season as we head towards a weird off season because we have no idea at this point when it's going to end or, or what to plan on. But, but uh, we, we will be able to do some breakdowns of uh, teams and what they're looking for in the off season. And obviously we'll be focusing a ton on the draft as well over the next few weeks. And uh, we'll do everything we can to, to provide some quality content here. So if you like what you heard, number one, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Number two, tell a friend, bring your basketball buddies around to listen to this podcast. It helps us a great deal to carve out, Uh, uh, space in this very cramped podcast market and number three leave us a five-star rating and a five-star review on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts in that review tell us the most obscure or random jersey that you own or have owned in the past and we like to read those out of the show thank you so much for being here once again see you next week and until then stay hard rodney rogers a hero is more than a sandwich 